My name is Nathan. I am the Connection and College Pastor here at Hope. I am extremely thankful to see you all here. I hope your Thanksgiving was amazing. If you're watching from church at home, I hope uh, you are awake and that the turkey coma did not uh, put you out past this morning as well. Um, I, for somehow, some reason, did not take any naps, I don't think. So that's a miracle in and of itself. Uh, so now it's officially past Thanksgiving, okay? So for everyone else who's late in celebrating Christmas, could we all turn to each other and say, Merry Christmas? Oh yeah, that felt nice, yes. Now, in the spirit of Christmas, I figured I really want to get everyone into a spirit of Christmas. And so I figured what better way than to give every single person in the room and watching from church at home an early Christmas present. Does that sound good to everyone? Now, it's not like you have an envelope. Don't clap. It's not like you have an envelope underneath your seat that's going to have, you know, a hundred bucks to Amazon or something like that. And we're not going to Jeff Bezos, whatever. No, it's none of that. All right. It's something even better. Okay. So yeah, now I'm hyping this up. So maybe we should have clapped. But uh, last week, Pastor Mark, in trying to get us all into the Thanksgiving spirit, he showed us a video. Uh, it was a wonderful video. It had Ben Rector. And at the end of the video, um, it had Ben Rector and he had this beautiful mustache. And uh, at the end of second service, uh, or at the beginning of second service, Pastor Mark made me stand up. He pointed out my mustache, and then he said something like disgusting. I think that's the word I heard. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't offended. I didn't cry afterwards at home for the next three hours. I didn't do any of that, but I figured, man, what better way to get everyone into the mood of Christmas than to give everyone an early Christmas present, which is that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is also my last Sunday here, so. <laughs> no, I personally think you should bring it back. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I personally think you should bring it back. Anyways, uh, we are in Romans today. You can go ahead and turn uh, to Romans 8, 1 through 11, where we will find uh, uh, our passage today. Um, this text is amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but before we jump in, I want to explain where we are. I know you, I just told you Romans 8, but I'm not, I don't mean like that where we are. Because where we are today is halfway through the book of Romans. Now you may be thinking, Nathan, three months for eight chapters, that's a really long time. Obviously then you were not here with us for Genesis or Exodus when it took, I think, well over a year for each of those series individually. So I'd say three months, eight chapters, we're doing really well. But specifically, I want to explain where we are in the context of the letter. Because Paul, in his letter to the Romans, it was meant to be read uh, in its entirety uh, in one sitting. And in it, there is a major theme running throughout it. And then there are also sub-themes running throughout it. For instance, Romans 1 through 4, Paul has explained to us all of that we are justified through faith and through faith alone. And because we are justified only through faith, we are because we are justified only through faith... God is righteous. That is a marker of God's righteousness. And then Romans 5 up to Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about how this justification reshapes our entire existence. And then we find ourselves here in Romans chapter 8, uh, said to be one of the most, if not the most, important chapter in the entire Bible, where we find Paul summarizing and wrapping up this idea of how our life is reshaped and transformed because of God's righteousness. It's an amazing text. I'm excited to be in it today. But before we jump in, would you guys please pray, pray with me and pray for me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this time that we get to worship you through just learning and studying the Bible, God. I thank you that this is you speaking to us, even though it was written thousands of years ago, God, that this is still you speaking to us. So I pray right now for every single one of our hearts to be open 
for our ears to be listening, um, God, and that we just uh, hear something from you today. We will learn how to love you more and how much you love us. We love you. We thank you. Sam, we pray. Every single person said, Amen. amen. All right, let's begin today reading in Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Let's stop here and talk about these first couple of verses for a moment, not just because they're important for our understanding of what we're going to be talking about today, but also because he's speaking to a previous point that he's made in chapter 7. When Paul says, therefore, he's referring back to chapter 7 where he's been answering this question of what is the point of the law? And as we see that Paul was showing that the point of the law was to point out that evil had hijacked the human heart and that there was nothing that we could do or the law could do to save us from this separation from God. That the law, if you remember Pastor Mark's illustration, the law, the only thing it could do was point out, it could mirror back to us just how sinful we are. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says that the law added to our sin. Not that it made us sin in any way, shape, or form, but that it increased the amount of our understanding of the sin and the brokenness in our own life. But that, of course, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the letter. In Romans 7, 24 through 25, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to save me? If I can't do it, if the law can't do it, who is going to save me? He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What he's doing in these last two verses is he's setting up the entirety of Romans chapter 8 as well as this idea of our new transformed and reshaped life in light of the justification through our faith. Which brings us to Paul saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no guilty verdict. We are declared righteous for those who are in Christ Jesus. Put parentheses around that phrase or underline, whatever you do to mark something in your Bible, uh, in Christ Jesus. Because even though these are only three words, they imply a lot because what these imply and show is our position now in Christ. As Colossians puts it, we are hidden in Christ. There is this security in our salvation because we are in Christ Jesus and that nothing we could do or anyone else could ever do could separate us from that salvation. And as he goes on in these first four verses, Paul is presenting the very gospel that you and I potentially proclaim and believe in. That Jesus became what we are, flesh and weak, so that we can become what he is, righteous and strong. And in that fundamental truth in our faith, we go from a battle that was impossible for us to win to a battle that is impossible for us to lose. It's this beautiful truth that he is showing us because we are now in Christ Jesus. Our position in life has changed. And in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from sin and death and set free for someone and something, Jesus. He's calling us to a different life, a transformative life. And as Paul summarizes all of these previous chapters in these just first couple of verses in Romans chapter 8, he's talking about how you and I have now been free to set our mind on the spirit and not on the flesh. But before I keep going and we keep reading and we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, as I've said uh, before, the meat and potatoes of this passage, I want to ask a question. Why does Paul keep going after verse 1? 
It's this beautiful fundamental truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does he keep going on two different points? Why not just drive that point into our heart? Why potentially muddy things up for us and make us confused? Why not just keep driving in that we have this security in our salvation and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God? Why keep going? Do you think that it could be because Paul is trying to show us that there is more to our life than just one moment of declaration? That there's more to our life, there's more to our salvation than just one phrase that we can speak in one moment of our life. Let's keep reading and we can kind of uh, hash that out. Uh, Romans 8 verse 4, we'll start there again. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And here it is. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Go through and underline every single time you see that phrase, set the mind, because this phrase is essential for us today because it speaks to how we live our life in light of the gospel. It's the essence of what Paul is writing about in these chapters of what we are going to set our minds on, what we are going to prefer in life, what we're going to enjoy in life, what we are going to dwell on and in in our life now that we have been saved. And if I can be honest with you for a moment, not implying that I have not been honest with you for the previous moments, but if I can be honest with you for a moment, when I came to this point of sermon, I really struggled with how to communicate this. Not necessarily because it's a tough topic to grasp, although it can be at times for sure, but more because of the gravity of what this phrase means for you and I today. How important this word, this phrase is to set our mind on the Spirit. Because what Paul is saying here is that what we set our mind on is the marker of what our faith is in. What we set our mind on in this world is the marker of what our faith is in. That if we're setting our mind on the flesh, then he says it's going to lead us to live a life according to the flesh. And in turn, it will lead us to death. But if we set our mind on the spirit, it leads us to live a life according to the spirit and leads us to life and peace. It's almost this working of setting our mind on the spirit and not the flesh. And our knee-jerk response to that can be, well, my faith is in Jesus and that faith has saved me, not any of my works. James 2.17, though, says, so also by faith So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. To set our mind on the spirit or the world is a result of whether or not we have been justified. It's not in some legalistic way where we work our way to this justification. It's that if we have truly been justified, it means that we will set our mind on the spirit because we now have this spirit within us. And that this is going to be work for you and I. I think the gospel is a lot of times used as a get-out-of-jail-free card, when in reality, I feel like it's more of a get-to-work card. Setting the mind on the Spirit is not an easy task. It is work. It's not like I just set something down on the table, walk away, and say, boom, I did it, we're good to go. No, to set the mind on the Spirit is an active pursuit of transformation through the Spirit. To set the mind on the Spirit is an active pursuit of transformation through the Spirit the Spirit. It's work. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. The word that Paul uses here, seek, this idea of pushing, of pursuing, 
It's truly what it means to set the mind on the Spirit, to pursue the Spirit, and to pursue the transformation that he brings. It means that in every single aspect of my life, if I have been justified, I will pursue transformation in the Spirit. I will transform my attitude, my responses, how I respond to situations and people. I'll respond to my, or I'll transform in my entertainment, in my ambitions, how I relax, how I rest, who I love, how I love. It will transform every single aspect of my life. It's a new life for you and I. And I think as I was coming up with some of those ideas uh, this past week, I almost started to have this thought, man, I, I kind of do some of those things well, right? Like, I-, I think I love people well. I think I have a good idea of setting goals that are Christ-centered and Christ-oriented. So if I do some of those things well, can I kind of, you know, just focus on the other ones and then leave those to, you know, where they are and everything like that? And I think a lot of us have that thought of, I've got some of this Christian life down, so I can just focus on the other parts of it. But the truth of the matter is that while we may be good in some of these areas, we're not great, let alone perfect. And this is the problem with my faith and with our faith is that there's, and this is why there's such an emphasis on a constant setting of our mind on the spirit and not the flesh, a constant pursuing, a constant transforming. Because if at any point we stop this pursuit towards Jesus, then what we are saying is that we are content with where we are when in reality we are nowhere closer looking like Jesus. Well, Nathan, it's impossible to be perfect. That's the point of the gospel, right? So I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses, say amen, and thank you, Jesus, for his grace. I would say amen to that. I absolutely agree with you. And yet what that calls us to is not a passive life. It does not give us an excuse to sit back and live our life however we want it. No, what it does is it calls us and frees us to live a life that actively pursues him. It reminds me of something my wife uh, Cassie said a while back while she was studying. She's getting her doctorate right now in PT school, small flex, but she's getting her doctorate in PT school right now. Uh, And a while back she was studying for a test. She was cramming for it. And finally she closed up her book. She said, all right, I think I've studied enough. I studied the perfect amount. I'm going to get a 90 on this. And I said, okay, wait. Um, Cassie's definitely smarter than me as a whole. She would argue that, that wholeheartedly, but I just, I'm just going to say that now here on the stage because I have the mic. She's definitely smarter than me as a whole. So I was like, well, you definitely know how to study way better than I do, but wouldn't studying the perfect amount mean to get 100? She said, no, no. Studying the perfect amount means that you know all the information, and yet you can still have a life. Right? So you study all the information, you know just as much as you need to to get an A, and yet we can still hang out, we can still go to a movie, we can still play games, we can still have people over, we can still do all of those things. Studying the perfect amount is doing just enough to get that A, and then being able to still go live our life. I still don't know if I agree with that. I think studying the perfect amount still means 100, but that is what it is. That's a whole separate conversation. But I started to laugh because I was like, man, how many times do I do that with my Christian faith? How many times do I do just enough in my eyes so that I can still say that I'm a Christian, people can see that I'm a Christian, and yet then I can go and live my life however I want to live it? How many of us are just trying to get an A and not a 100? Once again, I don't mean this in a legalistic way. I don't mean that you always have to be reading your Bible 24-7. I don't mean that you can never stop praying, although both of those things would be amazing if we could do that. The point of this is to ask, are you just trying to pass the class, or are you truly pursuing complete transformation through the Spirit? Have we become complicit in our walk to the point where we think, man, I got this Christian thing under wraps. I do my devotional for five minutes in the morning, every morning, never miss it for the past 30 years. Man, I come to church every single Sunday. I do those things. Or are we truly, uh, truly pursuing transformation in the spirit? 
Because if we are content or complicit in our walk, what that means is that we are setting our minds on the things of the flesh, not the things of the spirit. And here's the important truth for us today. Here's this tension that Paul's introducing to us by constantly putting this flesh and the spirit against each other. That for the rest of our lives, when we make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we are going to struggle with setting our minds on the spirit or setting the mind on the flesh. That is going to be a struggle that you and I are going to deal with for the rest of our life because our flesh will always want to return to how life once was and our spirit will never be content with where our life is here on this earth. It's the truth that we live in. Tim Keller calls it the holy schizophrenia, that we have these two ideas and two entities almost working against each other, uh, causing us to have this tension. And I think a lot of times in the midst of this tension, and it feels like we're being pulled in two different ways, we can just kind of stop and say, I'm just going to stop where I am. I think this is good, and it's just too much. But what Paul says that in the midst of this, we set our mind on the Spirit. We pursue transformation through the Spirit. So what does this life look like? What does this pursuit of transformation look like in our life? It brings us to the last part of our passage today in verse 10 when Paul writes, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This life of transformation that you and I are called to live means to dwell in the spirit who already dwells in us. He says his spirit is dwelling in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Dwell is not just the spirit's uh, pit stop in his journey. It's not just his rest stop, right? And then he's going to continue on his journey. No, what this word dwell means and what Paul is telling us is that God has made you and I his fixed habitation, that he has chosen you and I to be his resting place, to be the place where he resides. You and I are his fixed habitation. And in that truth, there is this beauty in our transformation, both in our justification and in our sanctification. That in our justification, when we are declared righteous in God's eyes, it's not us, it's Jesus and his spirit. And when we are sanctified, when we are transformed into him, it's not us, it's Jesus and his spirit dwelling within us. That it is a working of the power of the spirit inside of us. And what this causes us to do is to set our mind on the spirit, to live a life according to the spirit, and to have a life and peace. So I figured, what better way to illustrate this potentially than with Christmas lights? Once again, it is now socially acceptable to use Christmas lights as an illustration, right? Because we are past Thanksgiving. But in these Christmas lights, Christmas lights are probably one of my favorite parts of the Christmas season just because uh, I think when you're going on a walk at nighttime and you get to see all these houses uh, with all these Christmas lights, it's beautiful. They're awesome. They put off an amazing light if you get the right ones. I don't, I don't think these put off the best light, but it's okay. Um, And so they're amazing things, but the problem is with Christmas lights is that they don't do that by themselves. I mean, right now we would call these Christmas lights, but they're not doing what they have been created to do, right? So they need something. What do they need? Electricity. Wow, we have some scientists in the room today. Uh, Yeah, it needs electricity. And so what we do is we look around for an outlet. But excuse the grunting because... And boom, we've got lights, right? I'm happy we tested this beforehand because that would have been bad if they did not turn on. (laughs) We have Christmas lights. 
And once they are plugged into the power source, then they do what they have been created to do. They become what they were created for. These beautiful lights that have color. And we see their true purpose. But it's not until they are plugged into the power source that we will see it. That it will be evident that there is electricity running through them. I mean, I can unplug these lights, right? I can unplug these lights and say to you guys right now, these are plugged in. But what would you guys say? Uh, no, they're not. One, because I'm holding the thing in my hand. But two, because they're not turned on. I know we can have bulbs pulled out and everything like that. Uh, we had a kid in Hope Kids last year who the lights kept going out in our Hope Kids room. And I was like, why are these keeping going out? And then I looked over and the Ike, Serenity Eichmann and Liberty Eichmann were playing a game of how many bulbs they could pull out while I wasn't looking. And it made sense of why the lights weren't working. But anyways... It's evident that the electricity is not running through them because they're not turned on, right? I think this is what Paul is doing with our transformation. This is how he's explaining it, is that we can say all we want, that we have faith in Jesus, that we have been justified, that we can do all of that, but not until it is evident in our life that there is a power source, the Spirit running through us, will that truth be made known. It's not until we are lit up showing this source that we have, showing the spirit within us that we can say we have truly been justified. And for those of us who are maybe getting worried in the room, like, oh my gosh, am I actually saved then right now? Like, what does this mean for my salvation? The beauty of all of this is the Christmas lights aren't doing the work to turn them on. It's the spirit dwelling within them. It's the electricity dwelling within them that causes them to light up. Before they're lit up, they are dead and darkened and they cannot do anything. But once that power source goes in them, then they light up. But they have to plug into that power source. It's the same for us. Once the spirit is dwelling within us, it becomes evident that he is working and running through us. We have to set our minds on him though. It is this act of placing our hope, placing our purpose, placing our peace, placing our life, giving him every single aspect of our life, setting it on him. Set your mind on the spirit, Paul says, and find life and peace. We set our minds on Christ. We actively pursue transformation through Jesus. We do that in a couple of ways. We study the Bible. We are students of the word. I don't mean just doing a five-minute devotional in the morning and, and saying that that's studying the Bible. Those are good things to do, absolutely. Those are habits that are important. But I mean studying the Bible, taking a chunk out of your day almost every single day if you can, and studying the Bible. Nathan, I just don't have the time for it. Uh, Cassie and I made an end-of-the-year resolution to where we said we were going to get rid of some things that were distracting us. We decided to do end-of-the-year resolutions because we can never keep beginning-of-the-year resolutions very well. So we figured, let's give this a shot. And it's kind of worked so far. But we said, man, if we spend, uh, I think my average time on my phone was five and a half hours on my cell phone. And then on top of that, I watched probably, I don't know, a couple shows. And then Saturdays, I mean, it's just all football all day. And that's just that's why, you know, America, woo. But... Man, I was spending so much time on things that just really did not matter. And so what I did was I, we, we, we talked to each other about it, and we said, you know what, we really want to become students of the Word. And right now, because of all these distractions in our life that are seemingly important to us, but are really unimportant in God's eyes, man, we should be taking this time and spending it on something else. Now, we still spend time on our phones. We still watch TV shows. But the, prob- the, the thing that we've done is allotted a period of time to do the things that we are required and, and called to do 
first. We study the Bible. We are students of the Word. The other way that we can set our minds on the Spirit intentionally is through engaging with Christ-centered communities. I mean getting involved with home groups, community groups, connection groups here at Hope. If you are here at Hope, if you're watching from a church at home and you don't go to Hope here, finding a group of people who aren't just Christians and you guys hang out, but a group of people that are pushing each other towards Christ and are relentlessly pursuing Jesus. And when we are setting our minds on the Spirit, when we're doing those things, we start to live a life according to the Spirit. It becomes evident that we are setting and plugging and dwelling in that power source. We're for the things God is for. We love the things God loves. We hate the things that God hates. We spend our time how God wants us to spend our time. We do all of these things because we are living a life according to the Spirit because we first are dwelling in the Spirit. And Paul says that when we do those first two things, then we get this life and this peace, a life that sustains us through all pain and trouble and a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the progression that we go through in life. This is that dirt road of sanctification. This is our constant tension and battle is to set our mind on the spirit, not the flesh, to live a life according to the spirit, not the flesh, and to have life and peace in our life, not death and sin. It's this beautiful truth that Paul is communicating to us in Romans 8, 1 through 11. To set our minds on the spirit and not the flesh. This past year, I feel like the number one phrase, I, don't, I haven't Googled this, but this is just in my uh, you know, I guess circle of people that I come in contact with. The number one phrase that I've heard and I've said myself is, I cannot wait for 2020 to be over. Raise your hand if you've ever said that. Yeah, I cannot wait for 2020 to be over. I've heard 2020 has been a year of uncertainty. 2020 has been a year of pain. 2020 has been filled with anxiety, with depression. Every single one of those things are true. But I would say, maybe this is just for me, but 2019 was a year of uncertainty. 2018 was a year filled with anxieties. 2017 was filled with depression. 2021 is going to be a tough year probably. 2022 is going to be a tough year filled with anxieties and other pain-filled experiences. I don't mean this to bum us out right now. What I mean, and maybe this is because I've been reading Ecclesiastes in my quiet time, but what I mean by this is that what we are called to set our mind on is not the things that we are going through in our life. It doesn't diminish what we're going through in our life. It doesn't show any uh, that our pain is not important or anything like that. It shows the purpose, though, in every single one of these things that we are going through because what it is causing us to do is to go back to God and to set our mind on him, to dwell on him in the midst of all trials, turmoils, and tribulations. That yes, this year has been an interesting one and a tough one for a lot of us. But every year is going to bring certain difficulties. And in the midst of all that, Paul says to set our mind to dwell in and on a God who never moves. A God whose promises are always fulfilled. A God who loves us no matter what we're going through. A God who will comfort us in the midst of great pain. A God who will give us a life that sustains us through everything. And a God who will give us peace that surpasses all understanding. All through his spirit working and dwelling within us. It's this beautiful truth that Paul gives to us today. And so as we kind of wrap up today and as the band starts to come out, I want to do something a little different this morning to end. Because I think this idea of setting our mind on the Spirit, this idea of dwelling on and in the Spirit 
can be really hard for us in a world that demands our attention. In a world that has so many distractions. In a world that is causing us to maybe set our mind on the things of the flesh, not the things of the spirit. And so what I'd love to do today is I would love for all of us to close our eyes. And I would love every single one of us to take an intentional moment of silence and set our mind on the Spirit. Whether you've been doing a good job of it for the past week, the past year, the past 10 years, what Paul says is we don't stop setting our mind on the Spirit. We don't say, I've been doing this good for 10 years, I can take a quick break. He says it is an active pursuit. And so for a moment, as Hannah's playing the keys or the band's coming out, let's just close our eyes, sit maybe in some awkward silence, but intentionally take this time to set your mind on the Spirit, to dwell on a God who has made you and I his fixed habitation. He's residing in you now. He's present in this very room. Whether you feel him or not, he is present, he is working, and he is dwelling here. Let's take this time just to dwell in him and his spirit.